Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else, however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. So, like Crispin said, um, I had originally asked him to come and fill in for Joel this morning while he's down in Panama, I don't know, doing something, mission work or something like that. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, before I knew it, Crispin had gathered up a whole gang of, like, the usual suspects in our crowd, so I was super excited. I don't know how many of you were here um, a few years ago when Kevin came, when we did, yeah, when we had Costa Mitchell and Kevin came and led worship for us. Amazing time that weekend. And then most recently, Jessica's come with her band from down in Houston to lead worship worship for us. So we've got like, I don't know, this is, you know, triple play here. This is super awesome. I feel like so, so privileged to have you guys uh, come and be with us this morning. So, I've asked Crispin not only to lead worship, but to also uh, pull double duty and speak to us from the Word. And Crispin is most recently the pastor of the North Shore Vineyard, excuse me, North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain, just on the other side of the lake from New Orleans. And he, ha- yeah. <laughs> and he has most recently gone through a transition themselves where they've handed it over to a new guy who's now going to be leading that church. But they were there for 10 years as he was the planting pastor. And just I loved hearing his vision and his heart for his city. And in so many ways, it resonated with our heart and our vision for this town and, and the things that we want to see the Lord doing. And it's just another confirmation that the same spirit that's here is there. It is all over the world at work. And it's just exciting to hear that. So I have no idea what he's going to share with us this morning, but I, I feel fairly confident that the Lord has given him something very good for us. So without further ado, Crispin Shutter. <laughs> Did they wire you? Or? Uh, no, I'm just going to use, I'm, I'm not used to, like, I'm used to holding microphones. I don't know, it's a control issue. <laughs> I, I think I learned most of my preaching from watching comedians, you know, so. And, and they always hold their mics, so. Um, let me get some water here, just in case. So I do have to warn you, um, you know, the last time I spoke in a church was my last message at the church we planted. We had my last service was the first weekend of January, and what I've noticed, you know, you get, I've, for 10 years, I've pretty much been leading worship and speaking just about every weekend, and so I noticed, like, about three weeks after, you know, stepping down from the church that I've pastored all those years, like, I start having all these messages coming up, but nowhere to give them. So I hope I don't go too long today, do two hours worth of messages. I, I, uh, no. um, I'm going to read the text this morning that we're going to look at. This is Matthew chapter 13, 10 through 16. A little context on this. Jesus has been teaching, and he has taught the masses the parable of the sower. 
I'm not going to read the parable today. I suggest this week you go home and read it. Um, But right after Jesus has done his public ministry, he has this conversation with his disciples. And the disciples came to him. This is Matthew 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be forever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. The reading of God's word today. So, I remember probably 13, 14 years ago reading an interesting story. You may have come across this, but there was a bit of an experiment that was put together, kind of a social experiment. I think it was kind of sponsored by the Washington Post, and they decided to see if good classical music played by an expert virtuoso would be obvious, would be compelling to people when you take it outside the context of a symphony hall. I mean, everybody that goes to a symphony hall uh, is kind of expecting classical music. What if you took it out of that context and put that music in a subway? So to do this experiment, they recruited a guy by the name of Joshua Bell, who is one of the top violinists in the world today. Uh, This guy's got some serious skills. And they put Joshua Bell down in this subway in Washington, D.C. If you've ever been in a subway, you you might have noticed there's often musicians in subways. And and it's kind of the same reason why you sound better when you sing in the shower. You know, there's there's, subways are actually pretty good acoustics for, for instruments. You know, they got good reverb going on. And so they put Joshua Bell in a subway, but instead of being dressed in formal attire and surrounded by other classical uh instrumentalist. He was in jeans, a t-shirt, and a baseball cap. But what he proceeded to do was anything but normal. He was playing a Stradivarius violin, one of the best instruments ever created. This, this instrument was a Stradivarius from the 1700s, valued at three and a half million dollars. Jessica, would that freak you out playing an instrument valued? Like, like I, I just, I wouldn't know what to do with that. <laughs> If y'all have seen my guitar, you would understand. My guitar is just like scratched up all over the place. So, um, so he's playing a Stradivarius violin valued at $3.5 million, and the music that he was playing was some of the most beautiful, emotive, and technically challenging music ever composed for the violin. So he proceeds to play for the next 40, 45 minutes. And during that time, there was over 1,000 people that passed by. How many people do you think actually stopped and listened? Not many. (laughs) There was a handful. A lot of people that actually listened, they would listen for 30 seconds. Oh, that's nice. They got a nice little busker in the subway. They had no idea. (laughs) 
A few people, though, actually stopped and they closed their eyes and they let the music wash over them and they were blessed with this treat that people would pay hundreds of dollars to hear at a symphony hall. They actually heard the music. By the end of this little experiment, after 40-plus minutes of playing the violin, he scrapped together a paltry $36 in tips in his violin case, which I'm pretty sure, I'm, I'm a pro- professional musician, and uh, I'm pretty sure I could probably make 36 bucks in an hour in the subway in uh, Washington, D.C., and I am nowhere the musician Joshua Bell is. I want, so does this experiment, does this say something about classical music? Does it, does it say that, you know, modern taste can't recognize good music? Does it say something about music or does it say something fundamentally about people? I think in many ways what that experiment shows us is something that's very similar to what Jesus is getting at here. You know, this is an interesting story because when I read it, I, I, you know, when I first became a Christian at 20 years old uh, as an adult, I, I jumped in like I was all on fire for God and zealous, and I just wanted to save the world for Jesus, and I went to Bible college for a couple semesters, and you know, this was back in the 90s, and if you were a Christian evangelical back in the 90s, it was, it was an interesting thing. You go into any Christian bookstores, they used to have Christian bookstores, I don't see them much anymore, but... You'd walk into a Christian bookstore, and there were not only Christian books, but you could get Christian music, and you could even get Christian mints. Did anybody ever have testaments? Yeah, yeah, you could pay a buck for Tic Tacs, or two bucks, and you could have mints that proclaim the gospel. Uh, You had Christian bumper stickers, any Christian product that you can imagine, Christian t-shirts that that would take the slogans from advertisers of the day and somehow Christianize them, you know, so that everything in your life could be a witness for Jesus. And as a young evangelical, I remember coming across this story thinking, you know, I kind of agree with the disciples. Why are you telling stories all the time, Jesus? Jesus, his preferred method of teaching was telling stories, parables. And we often think of parables as being kind of like stories with a moral point, but I think the real beauty of stories, these parables that Jesus told, is they don't just have one point. And the point isn't necessarily even obvious. You know, when I think of songs, (laughs) when we planted the church back in, we started the church planning process back in, in 2009. I've always liked Tom Petty. Anybody like Tom Petty in here? Yeah. I've always liked Tom Petty, but for some reason, when we engaged in church playing, Tom Petty became the soundtrack of my life, you know? Like, his songs just kept, you know, running down a dream, uh, free-falling, <laughs> learning to fly, but I ain't got wings, coming down is the hardest thing. Like, everything, like these simple songs that Tom Petty wrote, all of a sudden... They meant something different than when I heard them 20 years before. As a songwriter myself, I think some of the most amazing songs are the songs that, that don't force you into a certain point or meaning, but they, they have a hospitality to them that you can interact with this song over a long period of time and it will hit you in various different ways. I think that's the power of the stories that Jesus told. Like think of the prodigal son. 
When I first came to faith, you know, I was like the prodigal son. I mean, I, I was in church when I was a, a kid, but, you know, my teenage years, I was running from God. And when I finally came back, it was, it was the classic conversion experience, you know. I wasn't in church. I was in my living room, and I was depressed and suicidal and just, you know, trying to cover up the pain with alcohol and drugs. And I cried out to God. I was like, I don't know why you would take me, but if you'll have me, I'm yours. And I felt the love of God right there. I felt the embrace of the Father. When I first read that prodigal son passage, I'm like, oh, yeah. But then after being a Christian about 20 years, I started identifying with the older brother. You know? There's some people I don't think we need to let in. (laughs) I don't know about these guys. Why are you throwing a party for them? (laughs) But then... You can look at the prodigal son from the vantage point of the father. Does the prodigal son have one point? No. It's a spaciousness. I think that's what, that's what good art, good music, the music I come back to over and again, over again they're stories, or, or even films, they're stories that I can watch over and over again because they resonate with me at so many different levels. The disciples asked Jesus, why do you tell these stories? Why don't you just tell us what to do? (laughs) Why don't you just give us the rules? And Jesus' answer is kind of interesting because he says, well, the reason I tell stories is most people aren't paying attention. Most people have the capacity to see, but they don't really see. They don't really notice. Just like the people in the subway that morning with Joshua Bell. Here's what's probably going on. You got Bach playing in the background on a Stradivarius. Oh, that's nice. Oh, my gosh. Look what Sally ate. (laughs) Most of us, most of the time, are too busy and too distracted to pay attention to the beauty, the wonder, the truth, and the wisdom that is always around us. And look, it's always around us, people. It's always around us. And Jesus quotes Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. I remember in my first decade of being a Christian, I heard so many messages on Isaiah chapter 6. Anybody hear those messages before? I know Danelle did. (laughs) Danny Daniels used to have a song. When when I first came into the vineyard, you know, back in the early 2000s, we, we would do a worship night. We'd pull out, I see the Lord. And his train fills the temple. Angels cry, holy, holy is the Lord. Like that song right there, man. Like we'd finish the evening. Like once we played that, it was all over. And I remember attending youth conferences and Sunday morning services on Isaiah chapter 6, where that song that inspired that song. And, and it's basically this, this scene where Isaiah the prophet gets lifted up into the heavenly throne room and the angels are worshiping. And it's a, it's a beautiful passage. It's kind of like you know, Revelation, you know, where you see those worship services going on in the book of Revelation. And in the midst of this worship service, God calls out, who will I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, here I am, send me, send me. And, and that's usually where the message would stop, right? And that's the altar call. 
who will go for the Lord, you know? And I answered so many of those as a young evangelical. I'm running up, I'll go, here I am, Jesus sent me. But they never got to the other part of the message where God tells Isaiah, okay, here's your message. Go tell my people that they're gonna see, but they're, not, they're gonna be blind. They have ears, but they're never gonna hear. They have hearts, but they're never gonna understand and turn to me that they could be healed. And Isaiah's like, how long will this last? Until everything's destroyed. Uh, send him. <laughs> Jesus quotes Isaiah, and he says, this is, this is what's going on. There, God is always speaking. God is always up to something. There's always opportunities, windows to see truth and beauty and wisdom. They're all around us, but mostly we miss them. Now, what's the difference between the disciples and most of the people that actually came in contact with the stories of Jesus? What's the difference? Why is it that most people didn't understand, but these disciples did? When I look at the stories of the disciples, it's not like they're the best and the brightest, thank God. You know, there's, there's hope for all of us. You know, Jesus didn't, didn't, you know, stack his group with like seminary experts and theologians. He, he just got, you know, some humble fishermen. But it's interesting, even with Jesus, when he comes up to Simon, and for the first time, he says, Simon, I want you to follow me. And instead of catching fish, because Simon was a fisherman, he said, instead of catching fish, we're going to catch people. But, Simon, I need to know something. Do you believe that I'm the Messiah? Do you believe I'm the Son of God? Have you prayed the sinner's prayer and invited me into your heart? Because if, if you're out in that boat on the Sea of Galilee tonight and it tops over and you drown, are you going to spend eternity in heaven or hell? He didn't say that part, actually. <laughs> he just said, follow me. See, I think, unfortunately, in the Western world, we have this idea that equates learning information with actually true knowledge or understanding, you know? We all learned how to do this in school. You know, you learn how to memorize facts and just long enough till you can regurgitate them on a test. And if, if I polled most of you, like, about, you know, your freshman biology class or, you know, history, you're not going to know the answers to the questions that you were able to pass the test with because you stored them long enough to, to do that. And look, I know a lot of people who, who get out of college and they've got a great ability to pass tests, but they got no common sense whatsoever. They don't know how to tie their shoes. <laughs> but I know a lot of people who never went to college who are some of the wisest people that I've ever known. Because see, the reality is we don't intellectually figure out who God is and then kind of put this checklist together and say, I'm going to follow God now. I figured out who God is. No, no. It is in following Jesus that we learn what God is like. But that learning what God is like comes through experience, right? Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of John, he says, if you continue in my teachings, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When Jesus says you will know the truth, Jesus wasn't saying you're going to know how to like argue theology better than anybody else. 
you're going to know the right answers for when you get to heaven and get to the pearly gates and, uh, you know, you're going to have a Bible quiz. That's not what Jesus was getting at. He said, you will know the truth. That know means to experience. You will experience truth. You will experience reality as, as, from, from God's perspective. And the result of that is that it will bring you into a place of freedom. I love theology. I've read a lot of theology in my life. But theology really hadn't done a lot of change to me, you know? <laughs> it's been my experience of the presence of God. I think it's interesting in the Old Testament that, you know, when it first, if you read the King James, when it first talks about the sexual union between Adam and Eve, it says, Adam knew his wife. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting way to talk about a sexual union? Adam knew his wife. That's a type of knowledge that is based in intimacy, in connection, and in love. And I think there's, there's, there's hints of this all through the Bible, that, 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 that knowledge, the kind of knowledge that actually changes you is based in intimacy, connection, attention, intention, engagement. The thing that separated the disciples from most of the people that heard the stories of Jesus was that they were actually endeavoring to follow Jesus. It wasn't abstract ideas they were paying attention to Jesus. They were intentionally following in Jesus' footsteps. And because of that, they experienced truth. Because of that, their awareness was awakened to what God is doing. I've got a good friend of mine who has been training the last couple of years to become a sommelier. If you don't know the term sommelier, he had to tell me what it meant. Um, it's, it's an expert in wine, an aficionado. If you go to some fancy restaurant and they have a sommelier, that sommelier is going to say, oh, well, here's the kind of wine you want to pair with smoked duck uh, or whatever you're eating. But I love going out to eat with this friend of mine because he's always going to have good wine. And I can't say that my palate is, is terribly... Um, adept at discerning the, the finer qualities of good wine, but I can definitely tell a difference between the wine that he serves me and the box of wine that I have on top of my refrigerator. <laughs> but the thing is, he spent a couple of years looking at this. He's taken trips to the wine regions in California and, and in France, and, and he's reading books about it. But, but the reality is, if you want to become a sommelier, you you can't just read books. You've got to taste things. You've got to experience wine. And when I sit down at the table and he's, he pulls out, this bottle is from this region of France, and this region of France is known for these grapes, and, and the reason these grapes taste good is because of the soil, and this was a particularly good year because, you know, it, it, it started off dry, and then they got rain at the right time, and then the cold weather held off, and it produced this wonderful thing. Can you taste that? And then he pours the wine, and we smell it, Look at the color of it. And what's he doing? He's raising my awareness. I don't know a whole lot about wine, but when I'm hanging out with him, it's an experience. His enthusiasm, his awareness starts to spill out onto me. And then he's like, now taste it. Swish it around in your mouth. Now breathe it in. And it's like, what do you taste? 
don't know, a little, little uh, blackberries, little little hint of toasted almonds, uh, football leather, uh, <laughs> puppy's breath. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. He's becoming skilled at identifying that stuff because he's experiencing it. Like a, a better analogy for me that comes from my life is music. I've been playing music since I was eight years old. But I have to tell you, and my wife can attest to this, like, I'm enjoying playing music more now than I ever have. Like, I never get tired of playing music. I'm never like, nah. I mean, some nights, I'll sit down at my keyboard, 11 o'clock at night, and I will get lost in something for an hour. Or I'll pick up my guitar and just play. And, And what I've noticed over the years is that the more that I play my instrument and play with others and, you know, write songs. And, you know, I've been collaborating with Bobby, you know, working on recording. And, and like, I love, like, we're, we've been recording an album for this, you know, since last June. And I, there's part of me that wants to get the album done, but there's another part that just loves the experience of creating so much. that like, I don't want this to end. I feel like a little kid with it. But here's the thing, the more that I play music, the more that I collaborate with others, the more I play with others, the more I write songs and record, the more my awareness is open when I listen to music. I find myself hearing a Tom Petty song that I've heard hundreds of times, and now I'm hearing it with new ears. There's something that I'm noticing. There's a piano line in there that I never noticed, or there's this harmony, or there's this subtle way that the, the kick drum comes in on this one part, or that, that little bass thing right there, oh man, How did I miss that? I missed it because I needed the process of engaging with music over time. And the result is that it's raised my awareness. There's a few things that I want to close with today. When I look at disciples, I see, number one, I see intentionality. They're not treating the teachings of Jesus as if they're just ideas to give mental assent to. You know, some of the things that's so frustrating to me in the church world is that people just argue about ideas, about, you know, theology all the time. And look, I've been there and done that. I'm not. um, But we're just fighting over these pictures of God. Well, how about we stop fighting about our pictures of God and experience God? (laughs) Intentionality engagement, and attention. And look, this, this, this refers to God, but it, it's not divorced from our real life. Like one thing, here's some homework this week. In addition to reading the parable of the sower, I want you to think of two people, maybe three people that you know. It could be family members. It could be friends. Could be your coworker, could be one of your kids' teachers at school. You kind of got to know the person a little bit. Sit down with a pen and paper or your laptop. Get quiet for a moment. Take five minutes to write down some things that you appreciate about this other person. Some of the gifts you see in their life. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? You ever had somebody just like write you an encouraging email or letter? I keep those things. I keep those things and I go back to them. They are such a blessing. 
And it doesn't take any time. I mean, like, you can give up on Facebook for just cut off 10 minutes from Facebook today. Sit down and write for five minutes what you appreciate, the gift, the goodness you see in this other person. Start with somebody you know. And I guarantee you, when you get to five minutes, you can still keep writing. Actually, once you open that faucet, it starts flowing out. I did this recently with some friends. You know, I just sat down one morning, and I just thought about a few people. I was like, and I, I just appreciate these people. And I started writing. And like, I had to like stop, like make myself stop. What is that that's just paying attention? <laughs> Opening our awareness to the beauty, the goodness, the gifts in somebody else. You ever notice that sometimes you get most aggravated with the people that are closest to you? Yeah? I mean, I had a, my best friend when I got out of high school, you know, we were roommates and you know, you're, at that point in your life, when you're first out of your house and you got a roommate for the first time, that's, that's a weird thing. Nobody's got mom and dad around to clean the dishes or, you know, things can get a little chaotic. And we, we had a standoff over some dishes in the sink. And I, you know, one of us, had, it was probably me, had the idea to let the dishes soak for a while. That works up to a point. When you let the dishes sit and soak for three weeks, <laughs> you end up with this kind of cesspool. It's gross. It was, it was nasty. But I remember my best friend. I mean, we, we went way back to when we were little kids. I remember just getting in this attitude where, like, everything about him just disgusted me. I just can't stand that guy. And he was my best friend. Don't we do that with the people we love? We just start, so they do one thing that aggravates us, and then we add another thing and another thing, and then before long, we can't see any goodness in them. We have contempt in our hearts towards them. Learning to pay attention, to dial back, and just say, this is what I see that's good in you. That is opening your awareness. You can do it with music. You can do it with film. You can do it with books. So often, what I see in our world today is we think we know people. I find out that, that, that you voted for Trump, and you voted for Hillary, and I think I know everything about you, and I can put you in a little box, and I can just write you off as a fascist or a socialist and, and then go about my life. Any idiot can do that. And we all do that. We think we can just write somebody off because we see a few things on the surface or something that they post on Facebook, and then we think we've seen everything we need to see about them. What Jesus is getting at here, I believe, is the more that we learn to pay attention to other people, pay attention to our own hearts, what's going on on the inside, Pay attention even in creation. You know, we sang a song here this morning called It Will Be All Right. I wrote that song a few years ago. And look, I wasn't trying to write the next worship hit. I didn't say like, you know, I wonder what people are singing in churches today. I'm going to write. No, this song came out of a very hard place. I was in a place where 
the uh, checking account was going down. The savings account was almost non-existent. I didn't know how we were going to pay the bills. And one, one afternoon, I really felt like the Spirit reminded me, you know what Jesus said in Matthew 6? He said, instead of worrying and being anxious about tomorrow, why don't you go outside and look at the birds and the flowers for a while? And so I did. I went and sat on my back porch in a bead of springs for about 20 or 30 minutes, and I looked at squirrels, and I looked at birds. Just got quiet. No music. And I got to tell you, 20 minutes I felt the peace of God settle upon me. I was reminded that, hey, Crispin, you're a part of the creation as well. You're a part of God's good creation. The same way that, that God takes care of this ecosystem in your backyard, this ecosystem that exists through giving and receiving, you're a part of that ecosystem. You give. You receive. You find your place. And the same way I take care of those squirrels and those birds, I'm going to take care of you. You ain't got to worry about it. And, you know, I believed it. And I picked up my guitar, and 10 minutes later, I had that song, It Will Be All Right. <laughs> See, even learning to pay attention in, in God's creation, I'm blown away at, like, my own little backyard. A few months ago, I'm, 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 it's my favorite place. I, I, most nights, if, if the weather's not too bad, I'll sit back there on my back porch, and I'll listen to an audio book or a podcast but one night I had my flashlight, and I sit in the dark because we get fireflies and we get squirrel. I mean, we get uh, raccoons and possums and armadillos. It's, it's like a National Geographic special out there. But one night I shine my flashlight in the backyard, and I see all these little glowing dots all over my yard. I'm like, at first I thought it was just dew on the grass. And then I'm like, I'm going to go look at that. And I come up, and I shine the light, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's a spider. The little bitty spiders, their eyes were glowing all over my yard. It kind of freaked me out. There's, there's like thousands of these things, a little bitty, but their eyes were glowing when I shined the light on them. But I'm just saying that, what's that got to do with anything? I don't know. It, it, this is what it has to do with. There is beauty. There is wisdom. There's the working of the Spirit always going on around us. The invitation to us today is to not be like the thousand people that walked by Joshua Bell in the subway that morning, but that we can be people who are actually paying attention. You know, I stepped down from being a pastor two months ago. Uh, after a lot of prayer over the last couple of years, I just felt like it's, it's that, that season of my life is done. And so now, the, the ironic thing, I'm, I'm playing music mainly as my main thing, so I'm playing little steakhouses down in New Orleans and different places, playing gigs, and... The irony is I feel like I'm doing more ministry now than I was as a pastor. I'm playing at this one place where people actually eat at my piano on a regular basis so that, like, they've got their plates on my piano. And so I get to serve up songs to them. I get to talk to them. I get to pay attention. And when I hear them share something that I feel the Spirit of God is doing, something that is good, something that's lovely, something, I start affirming that. And I got to tell you, there's so many times where in the midst of just playing songs for people, I feel the Spirit. What I'm asking us to do, what I think Jesus is getting at, it's not hard, but it takes intentionality. So my prayer for you today, my prayer for myself, is that we can be people who are intentionally following 
after Jesus that when we are standing in the line at Walmart, we don't just default to look at Facebook (laughs) or Instagram, that we would actually pay attention to the people around us. Not so we can just try to get them to come to church or, you know, pass them a testament, but that we can truly see them. We can truly value them. And we could be open to what the Spirit's doing. Why don't y'all stand? Let me pray a prayer for us. I didn't go for two hours. (laughs) Lord, we thank you for your Spirit moving in us and around us. We thank you for your Spirit in our relationships and the depths of our heart. We thank you that it is your love that holds this universe together. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to be people who are not just on default, blind to people, blind to your presence, blind to beauty and wisdom all around us, but that we would be people who learn how to be aware of you and what you're doing. Bless us with that grace today. And I really just do feel like, I felt this in, in worship this morning, even when we were singing, my soul is thirsty and it will be all right, that I really feel like this morning that some of you that, that may be struggling with some depression or anxiety today, that's the, the, the prescription for you this afternoon, this week, to not try to not be depressed, but to just go outside to just sit, just be. Let creation testify to you of the goodness of God. Let the peace of God settle upon your heart. Know in the depths of your soul that God has you in his hands because he does. But you don't just need to hear words telling you that. You will experience that as you just get quiet as you just go outside, as you take some time to just be. Be blessed in that today, in the name of Jesus. Amen.